0: Hello, Miami Dolphin fans. Welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Brain, to quote the great general George Washington. From the musical theater phenomenon Hamilton, the Dolphins were outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned, as they were stomped in Minneapolis 41 to 17. And the worst part of it is that I basically expected the game to go... to go more or less how it went. I, I predicted the Dolphins were gonna lose this game 41 to 10. They lost 41 to 17. Um, and you can you can chalk up seven of those points to make a Fitzpatrick's pick six. And that was really, you know, just about the only offense that the Dolphins, I mean, the only real attack the Dolphins could muster. I guess you could also count. The first play of the second half, where Kalen Bellage ran for seventy-five yards and a touchdown, but I mean, really, other than those two moments, the Dolphins were pretty ineffective in every aspect of the game against the Minnesota Vikings.
1: Yeah, they got stomped. They got they got dominated. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's 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 weird because it was like the game had ebbs and flows to it. Minnesota just came out and just jumped all over Miami to the tune of 21 nothing. And then that pick six by Mink of Fitzpatrick really changed the game. And then you're sitting there and it's 24 to 17. And at that point, the dolphins had outplayed Minnesota for the majority of the game. But then with the game on the line, Minnesota was able to put together a drive to get some points on the board. And then Miami just had no answer for Minnesota's defense and Minnesota's defense just imposed their will on the game and the Vikings put it away, which is what good teams do at home in big games. And the dolphins, you know, with a chance to, To make it a game with a chance to to make a statement with the game on the line,
0: they just folded. Well, and that's the thing that they do. Absolutely folded. And that's what they do nowadays. That's been that was the thing that we said in the preview. This was a prove it game for the Dolphins just like they've had so many times before in the last several seasons, every time they've had an opportunity to really show you that they are a team worth talking about on a national level, they are a team that is legitimately contending, anytime they've had an opportunity to really put their foot down and say, this is who we are, they've in fact shown us who they are, and it just hasn't been the positive thing. Uh, they've They've really gotten romped and and run out of the building uh in these away games. And it's kind of a worrying trend that the Dolphins find themselves on. And, you know, you you just find them, they keep coming back to the same place. We're always finding ourselves in that six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight. Maybe if you're lucky nine and seven range. Uh, a couple years ago they got all the way up to ten and six. But it's just They're always mediocre and they, they just can't seem to find a way out of it. This season, Dolphins on the road, just looking at the Dolphins on the road, they won their first road game 20 to 12 at the Jets. Since then, they lost 38 to seven at New England, 27 to 17 at Cincinnati, 42 to 23 at Houston, 31 to 12 at Green Bay, 24 to 27 at Indianapolis, and 41 to 17 now. In, at Minnesota. And, you know, they, they say that it's, it's the road games. That's where you find out what your team truly is. Not, not the home games, because when you're at home, you've got a lot of structural advantages. You've got the crowd behind you. You've got moral support. The other team, you've, you've trained right there. You've been staying at home all week. The other team is coming from far away. They're disadvantaged in that regard. So it's it's really those road games where you show what you're made of, and this Dolphins team has just folded at every turn almost this season. I mean, and the the couple of times that they looked like they might have an opportunity to come away with a big statement win on the road, they ended up folding late anyway. So it's just, it's kind of deflating. And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on, on this show sort of at length is where is this team really in the grand scheme of things? And we all got caught up. Well, you didn't get caught up, but a lot of, a lot of folks in, you know, Dolphins fan land got caught up in the excitement of the miracle in Miami. And, you know, we're thinking, well, listen, you know, the fact of the matter is we won this game over Buffalo late. And we won the game over New England late, but the fact is we won both of those games and we've gotten ourselves back into the playoff conversation. Um, So, you, you know, people were feeling good. And granted, the Vikings had been sort of not on a very good trajectory. Things hadn't been looking good for them. So folks thought maybe this was a chance for the Dolphins to go and, and get a big road win. And really what it did was snap us back to reality and made you look at the fact that you know, maybe this team isn't quite as good as, well, some people have thought. I mean, and the biggest thing is, in this game, one of the biggest glaring red flags, and we'll talk about the negatives in this game, I think the first one that we need to talk about is the quarterback. Um, Because as well as he has played in some of these games since he's returned, You've all, you always know with Ryan Tannehill and he's shown us this over his entire career. He's always got a game like this one that he played in Minnesota in his back pocket. And it's been, it's been driving me up the wall. And it actually has gotten me to thinking about, um, quarterback statistics in general, because you look at Ryan Tannehill's traditional stats this season and, and, you know, it looks like he's having a pretty good season based on the stats, but those traditional stats, passer rating, completion percentage, those, those don't really tell the whole story. Um, so I've been, been sort of frustrated about that because yeah, those stats look good. But I mean, if you look just the standard eye test, Tannehill doesn't look like a great quarterback. You know, he doesn't look like this elite level quarterback, even though his stats might tell you that he's a better quarterback. So I've been sort of doing some digging and then I read this article. Um, I, and I tweeted it out from the same old dolphins, uh, Twitter account by, which by the way, you should be following us at same old dolphins. Uh, and it was, it was written in the athletic and it was a really great piece about basically saying, Rest in peace to passer rating and the, and completion percentage and those kind of stats that have been traditionally what was the sort of standard bearer for whether or not a quarterback is doing a good job. And, and the the crux of the story is that the league has changed so much since passer rating was sort of developed as an, as a metric to measure success of a quarterback that you can't really, uh, you can't really use it to be an accurate reflection of what is actually good because it used to be that somebody getting a passer rating of a hundred in a game meant that it was an excellent performance. And now because of the way the game is tilted towards the passing game, you have quarterbacks, lots of quarterbacks regularly having games where they've got passer ratings over a hundred. So it's sort of as time has gone by and the game has changed, it's no real, it's no longer really an accurate statistic to prove whether or not a quarterback is having a great year. So I, I've been one of the sort of there, and, and there are several different advanced metrics that they start to talk about. They talk about, um, uh, QBR, which is uh, ESPN's passer rating and, and, or, you know, sort of, ESPN's version of taking passer rating and and one-upping it and then there's like first down uh passing first down rate and some other things like that but the one that I've stumbled upon that I think is really helpful in in looking at um what do you call it looking at the f- more of the complete story is, uh, the football outsiders metric, which is def- defensive adjusted, uh, not, not DVOA, uh, defensive, defense adjusted yards above replacement. That's DYAR, which basically aims to rank the value of a quarterback compared to an average quarterback, which in, in this article, they, they, give an example of a replacement level or average quarterback is somebody like Colt McCoy or Brandon Whedon. So they basically aim to rank the value of Colt a quarterback. Colt McCoy and Brandon Whedon are average quarterbacks? That's what, they, that's what they're listing them. Well, I've already seen the flaw in this. But they're basically taking the average of a of a quarterback compared to the average the average quarterback in a similar situation, whether it's a third and ten, or you're at the goal line, or in the fourth fourth quarter, or inside the the two minute warning. So it's th- so the way that they figure this stat is that, like for example, Ryan Tannehill ranks 25th in the league right now uh, among 32 qualifying quarterbacks who've thrown 200 or more passes. His defense adjusted yards above replacement is 37, and so basically what they're saying is that. A, an average or replacement level quarterback in the exact same situations that Ryan Tannehill has been in this, situ- in this season over the course of, and, th- and these stats are prior to the game against Minnesota, mind you. So before he had that bad performance, they're saying the average quarterback, a replacement level quarterback would be expected to throw for 37 less yards than Ryan Tannehill has this season in the exact same scenario. By comparison, Patrick Mahomes is number one in the league in defense, defense adjusted yards above replacement. And he is, his DYAR is 1773, which means an average replacement level quarterback would be expected to throw for 1700 less yards than Patrick Mahomes in the exact same situations. So obviously there are flaws in this, but this, this is a stat that takes in Takes a lot more into consideration than just your typical stats, and I think you know it, it tells you a lot to see Tannehill rated as low as he is uh, according to that advanced metric.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's obviously look maybe it's a better metric than than passer rating. I think I think they're all flawed when they're just they're just stats um, and and they're they're based on. I mean, so much of it is really based on the talent that's around you, <laughs> uh, and that's, that, certainly, that's, true. that's that, certainly true. That's certainly that's why that's why to me as much and it, it gets a lot of a lot of shit. A lot of people shit on on QBR, um, but I actually think it's a it's a valid statistic. The problem with QBR is that it it is subjective. Um, that basically with QBR, they, they, what they do is, is they basically determine on a play by play basis, did the quarterback make a good play, an excellent play, or a bad play? And they, they kind of give it like, like, like they, they like give it like a one or a zero or whatever. And then it's like, they come up with like a percentage of then the amount of points that they could have gotten. Uh, versus, you know, the amount of points that they did and they come up with like a percentage. And so it's basically a percentage of the time that the quarterback hat plays well or makes the right play. And I think that that is, that is valid, but of course it's debatable. Because there are going to be times where the person that's, who, who, I don't know who evaluates it. I don't know if it's a team of people that evaluate it or if it's one guy that, that is, you know, basically charged with watching each player. And like that person kind of comes up with the QBR for that player and that game. Um, so I don't really know how they go about it, but it's, you know, I've seen it described as it's basically an editorial disguised as a statistic. Um, And that's fair. It's fair criticism. And I I think no matter what stat, what uh, metric you use, you're going to be able to pick it apart and you're going to be able to find flaws in it. But I think that's probably the best one because you're looking at it and you're not just simply saying they gained this many yards on this play that's worth this much because so much goes into that. There's decision-making. There's the accuracy of the throw. There's did the guy catch the ball? What was the defense doing on that specific play? Uh, so much goes into it on every single play to just say, you know, versus passer rating, which a guy could throw a screen pass to wide-open guy. I mean, it's a screen pass. It's the easiest throw that you can make and then it's blocked really well, or it does. maybe it's not even blocked really well. Maybe the defense just misses tackles, and it's just, it's all the running back, but it goes for an 80-yard touchdown, and the quarterback's got a perfect quarterback rating. Right, and, and another— like, What did he do to
0: get that? All he did was get rid of the ball. All right, or he could throw the ball to a wide-open receiver. The ball hits the receiver in the hands and get, bounces up into the air, and then ends up getting intercepted and as far as passer rating is concerned that's an interception whereas whereas something like DYAR that takes into account how that interception happens and they they penalize the quarterback less for an interception that is clearly not the quarterback's fault so
1: but i'm going to i'm going to take
0: exception to
1: i mean look i'm not the i'm not going to be the biggest Ryan Tannehill supporter supporter i never have been but I mean, really, we're going to sit here and we're going to look at it and say that if Colt McCoy or Brandon Whedon were the quarterback, that Ryan Tannehill is 37 yards better than them. And that's it. And that's like so he's he's just like not even like. Like how would you equate that as far as wins? He's like not even a win better than those two guys. Like, well, that's the thing. That's the, that, and I, I, that, I'm, I find that really hard to believe.
0: Well, and that's the other thing. I mean, and it's not as there hasn't been a metric developed developed for football um, that is the equivalent of the baseball wins above replacement. They haven't figured out that what that stat is yet. For football in this, in that athletic article, actually, they're talking about a PhD student somewhere who is working to develop the NFL equivalent of wins above replacement, but they haven't figured it out yet. But I, I understand, I certainly understand that when you look at it from the eyeball test, you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if you consider Colt McCoy and Brandon Whedon to be replacement level quarterbacks and, and you consider those guys to be replacement level quarterbacks when you compare them to somebody like Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman, who is, I, I, I can pull up his DY. Now I'm curious. So now I want to go and see, uh, what his DYAR is here. Um, uh, let's see. I want to make sure I'm, let's see. I'm scrolling through the list here. Uh, Nathan Peterman is, is, has a DYAR of negative 383. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad. Um, To go with a QBR of 9.2. Uh, So, you know, if you consider Nathan Peterman all the way down there at 383, it's safe to assume that Colt McCoy could easily be a zero. Colt McCoy could certainly be a replacement level quarterback. But the point the point is here that as you look at it, the and we've said it we because because we said it when Brock Osweiler was in there before Brock Osweiler started playing very poorly. And granted, and and by the well, way, where's Brock, Brock
1: Osweiler? Brock yeah, Osweiler,
0: Brock Osweiler doesn't rank in those that have thrown 200 more passes. But Brock Osweiler is negative 58. So there's a difference of just over. Let's see, but there's just over almost a hundred. There's a difference of almost a hundred between the two of them. So that's a hundred yards over the
1: span of the entire season. Well, yes, that's correct. So,
0: but that's, but I mean, six, it's not, it's not seven, purely yards. yards and so it's. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not purely yards, but again, that's the thing. We talked about it. It's just a weird metric. It's a weird metric, but we talked about it after that, after the Bears game. We talked about how there wasn't a significant drop off between Ryan Tannehill and Brock Osweiler. And we started to see it, you know, as more time went on. And you, and if I, and we, we've had conversations, you and I together, we've had, Conversations about well, what games that Brock Osweiler played in do the Dolphins win if Tannehill's the quarterback? And
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and the, the truth is is that um I don't believe that there is a game that the Dolphins lost this season, that that Brock Osweiler was the quarterback, that that they would have won if Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback. In fact, I would go so far as to say the only game that I think would have been different is that bears game. And that one, I think we probably lose if Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback, but that being said, um, I don't know. I don't think we win that new England game last week. If Brock Osweiler is the quarterback,
0: you're probably right.
1: But again, so again, so I, I don't think it makes a lot of. And I guess that speaks
0: to the to the metric. Exactly. That, exactly. And that's is exactly that the record my point. would be the same. And that's exactly my point. Because if you look at Tannehill Tannehill's career in 2016, his his defense adjusted yards against replacement was above replacement was 10, which was good for 25th in the league. So again, I mean, he's. Basically, the point that I'm getting at here is Ryan Tannehill is basically a re- replacement level quarterback. And so, and we're seeing that in his performance now as time goes on each week, because he just seems to struggle. In, in 2015, he was 20 was his DYAR, ranked 26th in the league. His best season was 2014. It was the, that was the best season he had. And that is. Uh, before this season, if you look at his traditional statistics, that is generally, I think, where people think he had his best season. That year, his DYAR was 630, good for 12th in the league. Um So, I mean, basically what I'm saying is, and, and we're going to bring this back to the Minnesota game because we've sort of gone on about advanced metrics for a little while and probably bored half our listeners to tears already. But the fact is, Ryan Tannehill is essentially – When it comes down to it, all things considered, despite the things that he does well, you take the things that he does well, and you take them and put them up against the things that he doesn't do well, and you combine them together, and what you get is essentially a replacement level quarterback. You're getting an average NFL quarterback, and because it's the same things that he has had problems with. In the past, he had problems within this game, letting the play clock run all the way down and then not snuffing out the fact that Minnesota is bringing a blitz and calling an audible to adjust and, and figuring out ways to work around the, the blitz that is oncoming. And I mean, and this also goes to the coaching as well. It speaks to the coaching because how do you, how do you see your offensive line collapsing around the quarterback over and over again and not make some kind of call to get him moving. You've got a mobile quarterback. How do you not use his strengths? So all this to say, <laughs> I was very, very frustrated by the offensive output in this game from the Miami Dolphins. Um, Really, pretty much every aspect of the offense was discouraging with the exception of Kalen Bellage and Brandon Bolden, because those two role players are guys that are continuing to get more and more work. And that's kind of exciting to look at as you, as we see the season flashing before our eyes and we're coming down to the end of it. Um, But yeah, so that, that's sort of where I was wanting to come back to. It's just, it was just a very frustratingly bad performance from Ryan Tannehill and the Dolphins offense. And it was, and what made it worse is that it's one that we've seen time and time again. And just when you think this is a player that has moved beyond that, he defaults back to the norm, which is being bad on the road.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> that was a very long winded way of saying that Ryan Tannehill is an average quarterback and I didn't need to see, you know, advanced metrics or or go through all these stats. I mean,
0: the proof but is you in need the pudding. To. You need to. Though. I mean, not not you, because you get it. There are people out there. Who believe that Ryan Tannehill is a top notch quarterback, has got another level that he can go to. Heck, Adam <laughs> yeah. Gase was well, yeah, saying it. Was say. Adam was Gase say so. was saying it this season that Ryan Tannehill hasn't even been close to a ceiling. And I'm sorry, he we've seen his ceiling. His ceiling is what he's done, you know, the past couple of weeks. That's the ceiling for Ryan Tannehill. He can, he can make some good passes. And when everything around him is exactly as he, as he wants it, it's, he's fine. He's fine in those circumstances. But when he has to make adjustments and deal with blitzes and all of that, he can't handle it. And I, you can make the argument that, well, it's, you know, any quarterback that has, Defensive linemen bearing down on him and linebackers bearing down on him is going to struggle like that. And to a certain extent, that's true. But there are also quarterbacks that in this league that make find ways to deal with it that can get to the line earlier and sniff it out. It's, this is that mental aspect of the game that Tannehill struggles with. He can't read the blitzes. He can't pick them up. He doesn't know what to do. He gets confused. And you know, at the end of the day, he is what he is. And with all of that being said, I'm not, I I come back to again the argument that I made earlier this season that I'm just not sure that he's a guy you want to dump $26 million into next season.
1: Well, we could get, we could go on that for forever and we will, um, in the off-season. And, we, and we have, and we will. And, and it's, it's whatever. And there's a lot to it because of dead cap space and all this other stuff. And what do you spend the money on? And are you trying to win next year? And if you're trying to win, if you're dumping Ryan Tannehill, well, who else are you bringing out? If you've got all this cap space, Like, and you, and the idea is making the playoffs next year and you're dumping Ryan Tannehill. Well, who are you replacing him with? You're, you're replacing him with Teddy Bridgewater. You're replacing him with, with David fails. You're replacing him with, you know, a rookie that you're drafting in in the second round. Like, like, what are you doing? Um, I don't know. I like that. I, I think Tannehill is going to end up being back next year, but, but that's whatever. Um, the, that doesn't matter because it's not about next year. That's right. And it's about, it's about the future. And this was an important game for not just the team to show, to, to prove that they were, you know, that they had grown into something different, but this was an important game for Ryan Tannehill to prove that he could go on the road against a good defense and not shit the bed. And Essentially he shit the bed and we've seen this over and over again. And it's same old Tannehill, same old dolphins. Will this team ever be anything else if it's Ryan Tannehill and how many years are you going to go on with this experiment before you make the definitive decision to say, he's just not that guy. And so you've got to, if, if, if you're ready to make that decision, I know a lot of the fan base has been ready to make that decision. I know a lot of the fan base still is not ready to make that decision or has made the decision that he is that guy. And uh, you're not going to convince them otherwise based on this game, because they're going to simply look at this game and they're going to say Devonte Parker and Kenny Stills aren't good enough. This offensive line is horrendous. And you know, when Ryan Tannehill has time, he looks really good. And what I would say is that's every quarterback in the league. That is pretty much every, every starting quarterback in the NFL. If you give them time and you put talent around them, they'll look pretty good. Uh, But what really separates the men from the boys, so to speak, you know, what really separates the really good franchise quarterbacks from the, replacement level quarterbacks or whatever you want to call them the slightly above replacement level the 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 starting quarterbacks who aren't franchise quarterbacks the game managers whatever you want to call them what sets them apart is they're able to no matter the circumstance and they're not always going to win they're not always going to go on the road against bad uh, against bad Tough defenses and play well, but they show the capability of doing it on a somewhat regular basis to go up in a big game against a tough defense and play well, and we just don't see that from Tannehill. It just doesn't it doesn't happen. But, you know, people will say, well, how can you say that he played really well last week was last week not a big game. And then you get into this whole conversation where you've got you're basically picking and choosing what's what's a big game and what's not a big game. And are you just playing the result if they won this game? Was this not a big game? Because then, you know, if he loses next week, well, then he played poorly. And what I'm getting at is. Is that he cannot consistently play at a high level,
0: right? And that's been the, that's, that's been the case with Tannehill the whole time. Is that he's just he's he's just like the Miami Dolphins franchise. He's consistently inconsistent.
1: Well, he is what he is, and that's a, that. Like bad players, I mean, or not bad players. Average players don't play average the entire time. That's not what makes them average. What makes them average is what they do over time and that they're going to have these peaks where they look really good. And then they're going to have these valleys where they look bad. And then they're going to have a lot of games where they are average. Nobody plays at the same exact level all of the time. If that was the case, it'd be extremely easy to evaluate, but that's just not the case. And you have to look at Tannehill and you just have to look at it and Stop giving him all of these excuses. Cause I don't want to hear the excuses about the offensive line because did the offensive line have a good game? No, but the majority of this game really, it wasn't until the late in the third quarter when Minnesota really turned up the heat on Tannehill. And it's not like Tannehill was, was tearing them apart before then. And, and, Part of being a franchise quarterback is, like you said, being able to read what the defense is doing, snuff out a blitz, audible at the line of scrimmage, that mental aspect of the game, that improvisational aspect of the game that he has just never had. He's never possessed because he was a wide receiver in college and he's never been this student of the game kind of quarterback. He's never been that. He's always been a guy that, has had physical tools and we're trying to teach him the quarterback position on the fly. And I'm sorry, but the experiment, it's just not ever going to go the way they want it. As far as if the expectation is for him to be anything more than a serviceable starting quarterback or a game manager. If the, if the, if the expectation is for him to somehow catch up to his physical tools with his, with the mental aspect of the game, it's just simply not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it at was this gonna point, happen, at it this point he would have it. Yeah, it would have happened. It w- no quarterback has had the extensive career. I mean, we're in what year eight now, year seven, year eight of Tannehill, and we're still sitting here saying, well, he's still learning the position.
0: No, you're not yeah, still learning you, the position. You've been serious? a starter your entire career, so exactly. you don't get it. So I, I think what you're trying to say here is that if the Dolphins are going to win anything with Ryan Tannehill, which I, I, I mean, at this point we're all—if you're not convinced yet that they're not going to—I'm—I I, don't know what to tell you, but they just—they just, they can win
1: with Ryan Tannehill if everything else around him is great, the same way, you know the Eagles one with Nick Foles, Correct. the Bucks one with Brad Johnson, the Ravens one with Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco. It can be done, but it's difficult. It is extremely difficult and you've got to have a great team around you. And you've got to have more importantly, an elite defense. And it just seems like you're, you're not close to having that. And like, are you going to sit here and say, well, we're going to keep Tannehill around for a couple more years while we're trying to build that and and just keep delaying, keep prolonging, finding that guy, because then you're finally going to build your elite defense. And now do you have the same situation that Mike Tannenbaum found himself in with the New York Jets, which is he got himself an elite defense but then he had Mark Sanchez at quarterback and he got himself to a, he, I mean, really he backed into the playoffs two years in a row, but caught lightning in a bottle to get to the AFC title game and then fell short because his quarterback wasn't good enough.
0: Yeah. I, and then, and then
1: a couple of years later, it was a complete disaster. And that's Mike Tannenbaum's track record.
0: That, that is in fact his track record. And I think we need to talk about the defensive side of the ball. We're talking about how Ryan Tannehill needs an elite defense. That is absolutely not what he has. And what we saw again is Matt Burke's defense just get absolutely shredded by the Minnesota Vikings.
1: Yeah. And, and look, some of it is on Matt Burke. Um, you you can say, say a lot of it, but honestly,
0: this defensive line is not good. No, the defensive line is, is way they, too it, expensive. We're paying way too much money for this defensive line for the mediocre replacement level performance that it's giving us.
1: Right, and I mean they they wasted a bunch of money on Andre on Andre Branch a couple of years ago. Uh, it was a, it was a bad trade, for for Robert Quinn uh, to pick up that contract and give up a pick. But, but whatever, you know, that was one where they, they felt like they were getting a pass rusher and it's just, he's just not a consistent enough and he's too one dimensional in his, in his pass rush for him to really consistently make a difference. But the, the real issue is the defensive tackles. I mean, they get no push, uh, since Vincent Taylor went out, um, they've gotten just zero push from the defensive tackles. And then. The, the linebackers, Rayquan McMillan is just consistently taking bad angles and out of position. Um, Kiko Alonso and Jerome Baker just kind of are what they are. They're, they're all over the place.
0: Um, I think but- Baker is a linebacker with a lot of potential who has played well at times. Kiko Alonso has been a real problem defensively this season. He's slow and he's out of position. A lot. He occasionally, we've said it on that, we've talked about him like this many times this season. He occasionally makes the great, spectacular looking defensive play, but a lot of the time he's, I mean, he is all at sea when it comes to pass coverage. Uh, and he's just a lot of times just out of position. Yeah. And then
1: I think the other big problem, I mean, and you saw it on the touchdown that ultimately put the game away, uh, TJ McDonald, uh, he's just, is terrible in coverage. And I I know he was playing out there with an ankle injury, but if the guy cannot run and he's your safety and he's basically playing your, your high single safety, I mean, and, and he falls like five, 10 yards behind the play. What is he even doing out there? Like at that point he's hindering your team and it's just, Week after week with this guy, just taking bad angles, getting just torched in pass coverage because he's late or taking a bad angle. He's just, there's just like Matt Burke's defense. You know, you got a lot of guys that are out of position and that's a problem. And that speaks to coaching. And I'm not a fan of the wide nine scheme and selling out to, to, to go after the passer because that's clearly not working. They're not getting sacks and then they're getting gashed in the running game. But there's just not a lot of talent there on the defensive side of the ball. I know. Look, we were without Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard is is a talented guy. Um, Rashad Jones. Rashad Jones. I love. I love watching Rashad Jones play. But I don't know if he's hurt or what it is. But he's not having a good year.
0: He, well, according he to him, he's been year- he's been playing out of position as well, and he's been uh, like he said, he said he can't coach and play football at the same time is what he was quoted as saying today, which is alarming for a number of other reasons. Yeah.
1: I just, I mean, he has not had a very good year. Um, and you know, he's, he's one of the staples back there that you really, you figure, you know, he's a piece that you're building around. If the plan is to build an elite defense, in the next couple of years, he's one of the guys you expect to be a key cog there. Um, But the way he's played this year, and I don't know if it's because he's been out of position or or what, or if he's hurt, but he looks like a guy who may have hit his peak, you know, a year and a half ago and is starting to hit the decline of his career. And if that's the case, um, yeah, you're, you're in a whole heap of trouble and you've got to figure out you know, is Minka Fitzpatrick a corner? Is Minka Fitzpatrick a safety? Uh because you you got to get more help in that secondary. The linebacking core is is obviously nothing special, and the defensive line is a mess. So it's like, well, what do you have there? <laughs> the well, the thing is, is the thing, really thing is, we've identified. Very much.
0: The, we, we've really identified. We have very much. We've identified the one problem in our defense, and it's that the secondary the linebackers and defensive line are all ineffective. And that's what I'm saying. So the,
1: like what do you have? And what you have is and this this has kind of been the issue with the Dolphins the whole time in this the that they've been the same old Dolphins is that they consistently build a team that has some nice pieces but as a whole is is really nothing is really underwhelming. And that's what you when you look at this team and you just look at the defensive side of the ball, and you look at well, what do you have to build around? I think you have. Look, Cameron Wake is a, is a, is a great, you know, has had a great career, and he's a, he's a very good player still, but he's not a piece to build around. On the defensive line, you have maybe one
0: player that looks like he's a piece to build around. Yes, and that's Vincent Taylor. You've got you've got Vincent. T- Listen, if you're building around this defense, I think you've got four pl- four. Maybe five players, but I wouldn't I really go there. Generous. I'm
1: dying to hear who you've got as five players. Yeah. Four. Four. Yeah, Your I mean, four players got, to build I around on this defense.
0: Your four players to build around on this defense are Vincent Taylor, obviously Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, and I would put Jerome Baker in there because he's a linebacker who's on a rookie contract, who is, who has played well this season, who is probably only going to get better. So you take those. I don't know. I've
1: heard this before. I mean, I, I think it's, you just, you always oh, very easy to expect guys to get better, but sometimes they don't. It's just right. kind of an and assumption sometimes they don't. that we make.
0: So then, so then the difference here is then if Jerome Baker doesn't improve and doesn't become a great NFL linebacker, when his rookie deal expires, don't pay him, let him go somewhere else and
1: okay, fill and that position play somewhere
0: well, you figure that out down the line. That's not something that you're.
1: Know, well, that's the problem is that you've got to continuously bring in guys and it's just, they're just, it's just, it's a mess. It just, it is a they've mess. They've got to, they've got to hit on almost all of their draft picks in the next two years and, and in free agency for this to be an elite defense in two years.
0: Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of work. And I mean, the good news is, is that Pretty much the only way to go from here is up. Uh, they gave up 418 yards to Minnesota on Sunday, 220 of them on the ground. Again, just Matt Burke just had, it seemed like his defensive unit had no idea what was going on. And they were just beaten on, uh, in all aspects of the game on that side of the ball. And quite frankly, on the other side of the ball as well. To be,
1: to be fair, uh, I mean, they got scorched in the first quarter. And then I thought the defense really stiffened. I thought they responded. Yes.
0: I actually, I actually tweeted that out at the time. I said, one of the things that has been a something that was, I guess, if you're looking for something that was encouraging between the Patriots game and the Vikings game is that in both of those games, the defense got destroyed early on and then made some adjustments and were able to sort of get their act together. Of course, they faded down the stretch in this game against the Vikings. Um, and really with, uh, Cousins hitting that long touchdown pass, um, in the third quarter that put them up 31 17 at that point. It sort of put the game away at that point after the Dolphins had been sort of hanging tough. But, you know, the defense had done all, had did all right to, to bounce back from getting rocked in the first quarter. But, you know, when you're, when you're, Climbing uphill like that, you leave your yourself zero margin for error the rest of the way, and, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what happened. I mean, I thought, I thought the defense kind of brought them back. I mean, obviously,
1: the Minka Fitzpatrick pick six was, was like a turning point in the game, and then I thought the defense really helped Miami make this game, and they were doing really well, and Minnesota was able to put together one drive to get the, the field goal to go up 27, 17 and the Dolphins offense couldn't, you know, just could not muster any kind of answer. And then they got the long touchdown pass and that, that, that broke their back, you know, that, that touchdown pass put the game away. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say the defense had a good game, but I thought the defense played better than the offense. <laughs> well, I, I don't think, yes, I but it true. wouldn't be, it wouldn't be particularly difficult to do. Them. I didn't think the defense lost them this game. I mean, well, I, I mean, it's a team loss and you could look at it a few different ways. You could say the defense played better than the offense, but then you could also look at it and say, uh, you know, this game was lost
0: when they fell behind 21, nothing. I mean, and that's really the case. I mean, we've talked about it on this this is obviously not a team that was ever built to to come from behind and especially not to come from 21 points behind this is just not what this team is built to do and when they have a when they have the kind of horrific out, output that they had today or on sunday you know that just makes it worse they had the total net yardage for the dolphins in this game was 193 yards of offense subtract 75 from the one run from Kalen Balazs to start the second half. And you're left with a very, very sad number there. It's uh yeah, 118. It's, yeah. It's a sad state of affairs. Ryan Tannehill, 11 of 24 for 108 yards was sacked nine times for 71 yards. But on the positive side, he didn't throw any interceptions. And that's what it looks like is that it looks
1: like Ryan Tannehill in these games, he becomes he plays scared and he's not willing to to really get out of his shell and make the big throw uh he's not willing to make the big decision or or anything it's just he sees the pressure he ducks his head down he lives to to see another down but that's not franchise quarterback that's that you don't pay that guy to make you know twenty six million dollars, and that's you you're not paying that guy to be the franchise quarterback that's going to lead you to the promised land, and that's, but that's who Ryan Tannehill is. He's a guy that he's going to manage the game, uh, just fine. But then you know there are there are certain aspects, nuances of the position in game management that he that he doesn't really excel at either. Um, but if everything is great around him then you could win with him. But it's just, he, there's just nothing all that special about him. And that's why it's so laughable. When you look back at the the comments by Adam Gase, it's just, he, he, the dolphins have been mediocre his entire time here. You know, Ryan, the entire time that Ryan Tannehill has been their quarterback because Ryan Tannehill is mediocre.
0: Right. If, if Ryan Tannehill was truly the special quarterback, that that some of his biggest fans will tell you that he really is, you would have seen it, and it would have made a difference. But it hasn't. Uh, Brain, let's see if we can find some positives out of this game. Oh, another negative that we got to talk about is uh, Frank Gore suffers an ankle injury in this game. He's going to miss the final two games of the regular season. And if the Dolphins should somehow make it into the playoffs, uh, he's not going to be available for that. So his season is done. Um, I would say based on how he performed this season, it would not surprise me to see him come back for another season next year. Whether that season is with the Dolphins remains to be seen, but that does that negative does lead us to a positive, which is Kalen Balaj, who had 12 carries for 123 yards. That, of course, includes the 75 yard touchdown run. So without that, it's 11 carries for, uh, what, 48 yards. You know, so, and that's not great, but it's not terrible. It's over four yards a carry. So, but it was, it was encouraging to see him. Uh, the little wildcat stuff that they're incorporating with him is good. I, I, I like to see him get involved. It was also nice to see him get involved in, uh, the more traditional set. I like that he is, he looks a lot more like, he looks more like Frank Gore than Kenyon Drake, where Kenyon Drake is dancing around trying to pop the big play. Ballages and straight north and south guy, just like Frank Gore. And I, I enjoyed seeing that because he is really hitting that hole and exploding, which I think is really great. Um, so I liked seeing a little bit of Balage. It it doesn't it's not surprising to me that we're gonna probably see a little bit more Balage these final two games of the regular season. We'll incorporate Bolden into the lineup as well. Bolden had a carry for twelve yards at one point in the Wildcat it looked like Bolden was gonna throw the ball. At one point ended up not happening. But it looks like there's some creative stuff going on there. But again, you know, those that creative stuff, I like to think of it as icing on the cake. If you don't have a traditional offense, you don't have any cake. You just have a plate full of icing. And that's what the Dolphins' sort of offense has been, was hitting big plays this season. That's been what has produced the most for the Dolphins is when they're able to hit a big play. Um, they've been... Unable really to consistently move the ball down the field and get big drives. But again, a positive seeing Balaj in there. Um, what do you make? Do you make anything of the fact that Kenyon Drake had one carry for six yards and re- had three receptions for 28 yards? He is Kenyon Drake has been mysteriously underused this season by the Dolphins considering what he did at the end of last season.
1: I think the majority of it is that Frank Gore has been so good between the tackles um, and consistent and that the dolphins have very few playmakers who can do anything in space in the passing game. So he's been more, he's been running more routes than he's been. So he's been utilized in the passing game more than he's been utilized in the running game, especially since uh, the injuries to both first Albert Wilson and then especially Jakeem Grant. Uh, I think with both of those guys being out and both of those guys being guys that produce big plays in space in the passing game, I think Adam Gase looked at what he had and said, well, I've got Frank Gore can run between the tackles. Kalen Balazs seems to be coming on. And by the way, I, I've been very impressed with K. I mean, he's, he's huge. I mean, he, he looks like, like a faster version of Ronnie Brown, um, or maybe like a young version of Ronnie Brown before he had that, that like ACL injury, when he had that one year where he was like, where he was setting the world on fire and, you know, which was actually the one in 15 year. Um, and then he got hurt like halfway through the year. He was on pace to have like a 15 or 1600 yard rushing season. And then he was just never quite the same um, after that. Of course, we also had Ricky Williams back after that, but, but Kalen Balaji reminds me of of that. Like, and for for him to have that size and speed and still hit the hole and, and showed some good vision. And then to have that breakaway speed to take that one play, the distance, it's like, man, this is, this is a guy that's like, a more powerful version uh, of Kenyon Drake. So I've been really impressed with that. So it's like, you look at, you've got Gore and then you've got Balage and then you're, you're lacking something as far as playmakers in the passing game. So it makes sense that you would put Drake out there to do that. I get it. Um, but at the end of the day, I still think you've got to find ways to get him the ball. And if, if he's only touching the ball four times, I think that's, that's under utilization, whether it's, you know, running the ball or passing the ball, like it's just you're not utilizing him enough. And then the other part of it is that he just continues to disappoint when he's put into position as a pass blocker. And how do you trust him? Uh, because, you know, a lot is going to be made in this game about the sacks. Um, that's going to be the headline. Like when, when people talk about this game, they're going to oh the offensive line and we gave up nine sacks and, and that's fine. That's warranted. But five of the nine sacks happened on the dolphins last three possessions, three of the four of the first four sacks, which at that point happened really over the first three quarters of the game. When the game was still really in question, the thing, things got out of hand once it became 34 to 14, but thing, but before things got out of hand and the Vikings just started pinning their ears back and blitzing on almost every play and the dolphins seemed to have really given up, they seemed to have like lost all hope that they could do anything on offense. The sacks that came, came almost exclusively on the running backs. They came on blitzes where the running backs were unable to pick up the blitzing man and those, and at least two of them were on Kenyon Drake, just completely whiffing on blocks. And this is not the first time that we've seen it. And there is more to the position than simply running the ball and catching the ball. You have to be able to block. Um, and that that's not to say that Kalen Balazs is, is some like great blocker, but Uh, you know, one of the, it's one of the more underappreciated aspects of Frank Gore's game. He is a complete running back and he is a guy that can be trusted to block when the, and, and pick up blitzes and until Kenyon Drake can really excel at that and consistently be good in blitz pickup, he's going to lose snaps because you need to have a guy that can do that, especially a guy who's as versatile as, as Kenyon Drake is who you want to, to have in there on third downs. Well, if you can't block, he's going to, to lose third down snaps. So it's really, um, you know, I, I understand it. I do think that he needs to, you need to find ways to get him the ball more, but there, there are reasons why he hasn't been utilized as much. and, you know It'll be interesting now with with Gore out for the remainder of the season to see what the split is like between Balage and, and Drake. My feeling is it's going to be pretty close to a 50-50 split and that it's going to be pretty close to the way they utilized uh, Frank Gore is how they're going to utilize K- Kalen Balaj. Is that Balage is going to be the guy that's going to be your thumper be- between the tackles and yeah, Kenyon Drake will spell him, but... Kalen Balazs is going to be your go-to between the tackles, and Kenyon Drake is going to be mostly utilized out of the passing game.
0: Brain, any other uh, aspects of this game that you want to discuss or we're going to move on um, and put this one behind us? Anything Anything else? Any? I mean, there probably aren't any positives left, but is well, there any? Well, Minka,
1: Fitzpat- Minka Fitzpatrick, I thought, Minka. played well in coverage. He had his big
0: pick six, yep. He, he, well, he
1: had the pick six, and 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 though he was beaten on a couple of throws, uh, you know, where th- there were really – there were plays where he had good coverage and, and guys like, you know, Adam Thielen made a couple of plays where – you know, he's just a crafty player, and the, and it's not like the coverage was bad, but Thielen was able to kind of use his body and his hands to create a little space, and then Kirk Cousins put the ball right where it needed to be. I thought Minka Fitzpatrick played well at corner being tasked to basically be your number one corner in this game with Xavier and Howard out, and it just begs the question, we got to figure out. I think one of the biggest questions going into this offseason is – in finding Minka Fitzpatrick's long-term position, is he going to be a corner or is he going to be a safety? I know he'll play nickel a lot, and he'll probably move around to some extent. But really, you need to find this guy a permanent position. Is he a corner or is he a safety? And it, what's exciting is is he's played well wherever you put him. And so I, I, I think he that that I think was a good positive. I think probably the only positive to take away from the defensive side
0: of the ball. Well, I'll wrap us up here today with, with one other positive. And I know nobody's in the mood to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it because it is still a reality. In spite of the Dolphins losing this game and in spite of everybody else that they needed to lose winning on Sunday, the Miami Dolphins are still mathematically alive In the playoff race. And while it it's gonna take some work, there is probably, as of right now, a better chance of the Dolphins making the playoffs than there was of them winning that game against the Patriots with seven seconds to go. So uh there is still hope if you're if you're holding out hope that the Dolphins can make make it into the tournament and then anything can happen. Uh there there is still hope. It's gonna take a lot of results going the right way. Basically, it all starts on Saturday. You need Tennessee to lose to Washington, and you need the Ravens to lose to the Chargers. Uh Washington is currently a 10-point underdog on the road to Tennessee, so that looks tough. If Tennessee wins that game, you need the Colts to lose at the Giants uh, on Sunday. The Colts are currently... 10-point 10, 10 favorites to beat the Giants. And if the Colts win on Sunday, well, then you also need the Patriots to lose at home against the Buffalo Bills for the Dolphins to stay alive. So it's quite a bit. And then obviously the the... I guess the one that is unstated, the one that is obvious is that the dolphins need to win at home against the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars to keep their hope alive. And if they can win that game and they can get some of those results to go the way that they need to, there is still a chance. There is still a path to the playoffs for the Miami dolphins, but it starts with really they, they need to, they need some results to go their way on Saturday and they need to beat Jacksonville on Sunday. And that's really what it comes down to. Uh, but I think that is going to wrap us up. We've gone plenty long here on this episode of the same old Dolphin Show. So, Brain, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain, and uh, so you should absolutely be following Aaron the Brain. Send him your thoughts about his opinions. Give him your takes on his takes. I'm sure he'd be happy to engage you in conversation. I would be. I would be happy. For you to talk to me about my takes. I'm at Amplified to Rock, tweeting most often nowadays from the same old dolphins Twitter account at same old dolphins. Uh we're also on Facebook, Facebook.com slash same old dolphins like us over there. We are every episode of the show is now available on dolphinstalk.com because we are part of the dolphinstalk.com podcast network. So make sure you're Checking out DolphinsTalk.com every day for all of your Miami Dolphins content, hashtag content needs. You can also download, rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate you taking a few minutes to do that. We're also on Google Play Play Music and Stitcher, and every episode of the show is on SoundCloud as well. So we hope that you will follow us on all of those places. And if there is anywhere out there, a podcatcher that you prefer – a service that you prefer to use where you can't currently access the show, tweet at us, at Samuel Dolphins. Let us know, and I will do what I can to try to remedy that situation and get you on that service. Service, uh, Just like we had some people say, why aren't you on Google Play? Why aren't you on Stitcher? We we addressed it, and now we are. So, uh, you know, let us know. If there's a service that you'd you'd like us to be on, holler at me, and we will take care of it for you. Uh, the next time we come to you, it's going to be Friday. We're going to record Friday morning. I am traveling on Thursday to the great Pacific Northwest. I'm going to spend about a week and a half in the beautiful city of Olympia, Washington, hanging out with uh, my wife's family for Christmas. We're we're all very excited. We're, so we're going to be heading out there on Thursday. We're going to record our Jaguars preview show on Friday morning. So probably Friday, probably right around lunchtime for you uh, on the East Coast is when that episode is going to drop. So make sure uh, you are keeping your eyes and ears peeled in time On Friday at lunchtime, you can download it then and then listen to it on your drive home from work on Friday. We'll get you all set for the weekend's action as the Dolphins take on the Jaguars and see if they can't yet find a way to get themselves into the AFC playoffs. Will they do it? Probably not, but hey, there's still a chance, so we're going to keep hope alive. In the meantime... That's going to wrap us up. For Aaron the Brain, this is Amplified to Rock. This is Josh. We will talk to you again next time. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins!